0: Hi, you guys. Welcome back to this So Lux Life Podcast. I'm Kristen Watson, your host. I'm super excited about today's episodes because it's going to change the lives of many. Um, and I'm so excited about you guys tuning in. So make sure you leave your questions and your comments in the comment field. And we are going to get started. So how are you today, Bobby? Thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: I am doing great. And I uh, you're quite welcome. Thank you for having me
0: yes definitely so i see you have some acronyms behind your name so just in case people are wondering can you kind of tell us what those stand for
1: yes uh yes um the icdac stands for internationally certified drug and alcohol counselor uh cip stands for certified intervention professional and cps stands for certified prevention specialist so it's kind of a history of my um background uh, and experience over the last 21 years. I started out in prevention and then got moved into counseling. And then as things progressed, I then uh, due to circumstances, I started doing interventions and then started my own business about five years ago. So that's the purpose behind those.
0: (laughs) Yes. So what's the name of your business that you started?
1: Uh, Newman Intervention and Addiction Services. We help people find, we, you know, we do provide prevention services as well, but uh, the primary uh, focus right now is helping people find treatment or, and also helping families with loved ones who are struggling that are refusing help, get their, we basically go out and help the family get their willingness to uh, receive treatment.
0: Okay. So, um, you said you've been doing this for about five years but in total you've been doing this like over 20 years so over, how many, over 20 years, yeah. yeah so how many families would you say you have helped over that time frame
1: well i mean literally uh, it, it directly and indirectly several thousand so mm-hmm. uh you know just through prevention efforts um you know we did a lot of um workshops and with detox workshops, as well as inpatient. I worked in one of the largest rehab centers in the country, which would had over 250 bed facilities. So, you know, and they would have several hundred people go through the program, Per year. So I had a lot of uh, involvement in getting people into the program as well as through the program, and also was responsible for graduate discharge upon the person leaving the program th- through their discharge planning and things like that. So it's been several thousand uh, in the last 20 years.
0: Nice. So, what would you say is the hardest part about? I guess, helping someone that may have an addiction, is it identifying it or actually getting them to be receptive of the help that you offer?
1: It's getting the person to uh, actually, there's a number of things. People ask me, what's the hardest part about doing an intervention? And my uh, first response is handling the family. If I can get the family on the same page and operating as a unit and with a direct plan of action, we have a really good chance of getting the loved one, the the addicted person to accept help. The truth is, is nobody wants to be an addict. Nobody is happy, it's a miserable life. They're just, you get to a point that you're doing the drugs just to feel some sort of being normal. And Mm -hmm. the the person is generally looking for a way out. So if you can provide them with a way out, that's um, face saving where they don't have to feel demoralized or like lesser of a person for accepting help, um and that hope that help is possible then you have a really good chance of 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 help getting the person convinced to, to enter treatment
0: yes yeah, so can you kind of walk us through what an intervention looks like just kind of from beginning to end
1: well well there's a I always describe it in six steps or six phases to the intervention, you know, and there's a lot of little bitty parts that go into these six parts. But the first one is deciding that you're going to do something. If you have a loved one, you know, a a son or a daughter or, you know, spouse or whomever struggling and you've tried to talk to them and there's been lots of fights, lots of upsets, lots of problems. You know, the truth is, is there's usually a lot of division among the family, but you, you have to decide that you are going to do something and against all odds, you're going to change the situation. And when you can truly decide that you're going to do it, regardless of the pushback that you get from other members of the family, or even the person addicted person, then we start, then you can start planning, right? And the first thing is truly deciding. And then the second thing is planning and planning involves who's gonna be involved, who's gonna be, you know, who's gonna be a part of the intervention team, when it's going to be, where it's going to be, uh, things like that. And once that kind of that's determined, then you go into preparation. And that means we're going to prepare ourselves for the, we're going to hope and pray for the best, but we're going to prepare for the worst. We're going to list out all the objections. The person's going to have, we're going to solve every problem. This person's going to throw at us. That's going to prevent them. That would prevent them from going to treatment. So all we have to do is get a yes out of the person. We're going to prepare ourselves for any possible reaction this person can have. We're going to, again, prepare ourselves for the worst case scenario. We're going to start working out logistics about when it's going to be, where it's going to be, what time it's going to be. Um, You know, we look at plane flights, uh, you know, we do a pre-intervention meeting. Uh, We also I have an intervention course that I like the families to do because that also Mm -hmm. lots of information. Um, And then we we again we go over every type of scenario that could possibly happen with this person and then we prepare for again the worst case so we are not caught off guard and then we execute so we have deciding planning preparing and then executing let's say you know we're going to do it on a saturday morning so we're going to in preparation we're going to prepare letters to this person we're going to basically make do a pre-intervention meeting And then we're going to do a dry run on with with reading the letters and, again, going over seating arrangements, who speaks first, who speaks last, how to respond in certain ways, all the do's and don'ts. And then we execute. Let's say it's going to be on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. You know, that I like to do these two to three hours before I have to leave for the airport. I never do an intervention and keep the person local to treatment simply because it's not a good idea. If you have to go to the trouble of doing an intervention, you don't want them doing going to a facility that's right there in their backyard because right it's because that's where all their drug using friends are you know that's where anyway there's reasons for that so we again prepare for all that and then we execute and during the execution if it's deems that this person is going to refuse then we've already worked out predetermined consequences for their refusal if there's not any consequences to their decision to say, refusing of treatment, then the likelihood, the person is going, if it comes to that, the majority of the time it does not come to that because we don't need to go there, but we have to be prepared for that. So, and again, this is a long answer to your question, but I want to make sure that I fully answer it. So we, then we introduce the consequences to this person and say, look, we, you know, um, We certainly hoped you'd made a different decision, but we have to make a decision as a result of you refusing help, because usually the family is completely embroiled in the situation. They've, you know, loaning money, loaning vehicles, letting the person stay there. You know, it's just a constant issue. So we have to figure out how we're going to remove ourselves from this problem because the person themselves is refusing to step up to solve the problem. Right now, there's a lot of things that can go into this. The, The addiction you know, there's usually underlying issues as to why the person became addicted to begin with. But the addiction mm-hmm. is the first thing we need to handle to be able to get to those. But so we introduce the consequences to the person again after a considerable effort. This could take several hours. It may take a couple of days before you would introduce the consequences to the person. And then if that still doesn't work, then you have to implement those consequences. And that's what we call playing the long game that could take, um, you know, several weeks or months before the person actually realizes the effect. I mean, you know, if you've got somebody living in your home and you say, look, you're going to have to move out, I'm not going to have you coming and going all hours of the night. You know, I I don't, I don't feel safe here. I feel like a hostage in my own home. You know, I'm not going to have that. So you're going to have to go if you don't want help. And then if that doesn't happen, then you have to take the steps to get the person out of your house if they don't just leave because uh, and and that's the hard part. Again, the bigger percentage of the people, you never have to get to the consequences, but you have to be prepared to do these things because the addiction is controlling everything this person has. Go, I mean everything. I mean his thought process, his actions, everything. And so, you in turn cannot allow that to affect you as well and control you. So, that's that's the long and short of it, <laughs> or the long. <laughs> <of it. laughs> so.
0: Yes. So it takes a family, it takes a village is what it sounds like yes, in right. order to execute execute this and to hopefully get the person to say like, yes, I do have a problem. I'm willing to get help. So suppose this is an adult that you're dealing with and this person has like a job have you ever had to deal with that type situation? Because at that point they would have to leave their job to go out of state to get treatment. And you know, who's to say what would happen with their livelihood when they come back?
1: Most of the time there's a thing called the family medical leave act and it's a federal law that was put in place in 1996 that protects people. It protects women if they're going in for care when they're pregnant, it protects people that have health issues. It's in in most companies will meet the requirements that the FMLA will come into play. Now, if you're working, if you're a, a, the per, most employers that I've dealt with really appreciate a good employee. And if this person is, has a substance abuse issue and is a, a good employee and well thought of, that employer is going to want that person to go and get help and come back. They're not going to want to get rid of them because it takes it, 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 it's it's more cost effective to have an experienced person back on the job that it does to bring in a new person that it then has to get proved in and trained or used to it or whatever. So, you know, again, if, and if that's not the case for that employer, if they don't value you or, you know, they're more concerned about the bottom dollars for them, then maybe that's not somebody that you need to be working for. And that's the truth of the matter. I mean, I, but I rarely have that happen. Most employers will say, please, you know, but you do that after you get to the facility, you don't do it before because, you know, it's just something you work out, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, I had an executive once that was, um, you know, he was a high level executive, very high functioning on his job and very capable guy, but his family insisted that he go and, you know, and, but he, and he was, that was his excuse. Well, I, I don't want to go because i lose my job. Well, you know, you're, would you want your job or do you want your family? That, and that was his 15 year old daughter telling him that if you, do you want your job or do you want your family? Because if you don't go get help, we're done. I mean, and I'm telling you that I, and I'm speaking for mom because she's not able to, but I'm your daughter. I love you. I want you in my life, but I'm not like this. And so you can go talk to your boss if you want to, but if you're going to come right back up here and you're going to have to answer to me. So it was like, (laughs) it was, it was, she was the sweetest little girl. And I thought, man, if that doesn't do it, then there's no hope for this guy. Right. Was- like, I
0: don't know what will.
1: <laughs> yeah. So and he did. He went. And But it was hard. But he tried to use that as an excuse. But of course, his employer was like, no, go do what you got to do and come back. We want you back. So and he got his job back and everything was fine. So, uh, I mean, well, he didn't lose his job. but I'm just saying he, he was able to come back and resume his position. So.
0: Yes. And I could see how some people would probably say, well, I don't want my job to know that I have this problem. You know, I don't want them judging me or maybe potentially firing me because I am trying to go seek help. What advice do you give to someone with with that mindset? Like, I'm embarrassed. I really just don't want my job to know I want the help, but I don't want my job to know that I have a problem.
1: Well, the thing it is, is that it's all confidential. It's the the, the, you know, this is a confidential It's confidentiality laws. And it's a very serious offense to violate those. And you also have uh companies that have hr departments that have employee assistance programs and that's specifically what those are for and so they're there to help you they're not there to hurt you that's what they are there for that's their sole purpose so you get with the treatment center you work out an approach to the you know correct person within the organization and it's all kept confidential and and the the other thing is a lot of people you know it's a some mindset you you have going before, prior to, but I've never had anybody go in and 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 uh, look down upon somebody who goes and gets help and handles this particular an issue such as this. They're usually hats off, they get saluted, they're like much respect. Thank you for doing that. We 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 really admire you for that. So.
0: So typically how long are they gone? Like once they get on the plane and leave and go get treatment, how long does it usually take that treatment to be effective for them to be able to come home?
1: The longer term programs are better. I mean, it takes, you know, unfortunately, 28 day programs only exist because of, because that's all the insurance typically wants to pay for. Now they're also realizing that um, that's not necessarily, it's not because it's successful. Uh, You know, there's also if it's alcohol or if there's benzodiazepines, which are like Xanax or Valium or or some sleeping pills, um, they also require a medical detox. So that would be prior to going to you can't just cold turkey those things. So you have to meaning you stop abruptly. You have to be tapered off medically. And um, so you would then consider that. And but, you know, again, the longer term programs are better. I mean, I, I would you know, it's two to three months or longer are the better ones. And, and why, you know, I always tell people, look, you know, you go to some, I'm only saying 30 days. Well, okay. What if you're not, what, what if you haven't handled everything you need to handle in the 30 days, what you're about to do is give yourself a very small chance of success. And you're, you know, and, and so you've wasted that time. Essentially you've wasted, you've gone there and you're wasting your time. It's like, you know, studying for a test and not really studying, and then going and taking the test and you're failing. Well, you just wasted all that time. So it doesn't make any sense, especially when everything that matters to you is hanging in the balance. So why not make the best of it?
0: Right. So I'm going to kind of shift gears here to talk about teenagers and adolescents that may have, you know, drug problems. So, what are some ways that parents can identify that their child? has a drug abuse problem?
1: Well, you, they, you can always tell by their friends that they're hanging out with. If you think that their mm-hmm. friends are kind of shady, then, you know, and not necessarily a good moral character, you know, and not purpose driven, like, okay, I wanna, you know, with a goal and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm driven to do certain things in my with my life, then it's probably a good indication of what mindset you have with your, um, your, your child. Um, and also if they're, if they become introverted and they become like, so, you know, where they are letting other areas of their life and other interests of their life and the family involvement and being around, you know, things that they normally would used to like to do. I mean, the kids, if kids change over time as they grow up, but at the same time, you can tell, and, and particularly if kids become very critical and kind of like, mm-hmm. like, um, um, not hostile, but like antagonistic or they just become, you know, I could, like
0: defensive
1: defensive. That's an indication of something's going on that they're, you know, that they're doing something that they probably know they should, they know that they shouldn't be doing. And you, you know, then the, the trick behind that is being able to be aligned for them to be able to sit down and talk to them, you know, in a caring manner, but also in a firm manner to where you like, you're a safe terminal for them. You're, they can say anything to you. And you'll be willing to talk to them about it, not preach to them or not scold them, but, you know, where they can come to you. They know that you're a person that you can come to and you're, you've are you got their back. But at the same time, you have a good moral uh, compass and are, you know, going to set a good example and you're going to help them and guide them in the right way. But yes. I always take, take no crap, too. <laughs> you know, we're not doing that. I mean, I tell my son all the time, we're not doing that. That's You know, I got it. You know, maybe I didn't respond the right way. Maybe I didn't, you know, I get it. I'll, I'll try to correct that. But trust me, we're, you know, that what's going on right now, it ain't happening. So, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and sometimes I can just say his name and he'll he'll instantly go, okay, I don't have to come down heavy because you know but I, I i would be prepared to if i needed to because mm-hmm. you know i i anyway it's i want him to enjoy life i don't want him to uh i want him to you know want me to be around i want him to be like you know when i walk come home after i've been gone for a couple of days i want him to hey how's it going I, I want that type of response from him i don't want oh my gosh dad's home type of thing so
0: right you know Yeah, I think a lot of um, teens and adolescents, they're afraid to have those conversations with those parents just because, you know, they're kind of afraid of what the parent might say or what may happen. But I think we as parents do, like you said, have to let them know that they're comfortable and able to communicate with us no matter what it's about. Even if like your friends are doing drugs, you know, feel free to come talk to me about it. Let's have a conversation before yeah. you go out here and try this, what is the most common drug abuse that you've seen in teens?
1: Well, I, you know, today is, um, you know, marijuana is a big issue. And, you know, with the legalization, medical marijuana becoming, you know, more prevalent as well as, you know, it being more now recreationally. But, you know, and again, people get into the argument about, well, alcohol is legal. And, and you know, alcohol is a bad example because it kills more people every year than then everything, you know, it, it kills like it used, the number used to be over half a million people a year to, due to the alcohol related accidents or, you know, health issues or whatever. But so, you know, anytime you're abusing substances, particularly at a young age, it's just a bad indicator. I mean, there's a, there's, it's just not a good, um, it's just not, I don't know how to, uh, the words I'm looking for are, it's basically, there's something else going on that why you would, why you would want to alter your state of mind. And you're talking to somebody who started drinking when he was like 11 and 12 years old, you know, I wanted to, so 11, 12 years old, I started smoking marijuana when I was later was like 16, 17 years old. And then I started doing it, you know, progressively got worse from there. But, um, you know, it's just uh, your, your sights are set on the wrong target. If you're feeling like you have to get inebriated for any reason, you know, Mm -hmm. consistently anyway i mean you can say kids will experiment but you know and maybe once or twice but honestly you know if the kid's got the right direction he's not going to want to uh be intoxicated or you know be under the influence of anything so
0: yes so at what point does alcoholism become abuse? would you say someone that's drinking daily or at what point does it cross that line of abuse?
1: Well, obviously, if you're under 21 years old, it's it's abuse. I mean, if you're drinking alcohol; yeah. it's, it's it's illegal. So, and there's the age limit on marijuana. So, if you're doing anything and you're not of age, then uh, it's it's abuse, right? And even one time mm-hmm. would be, in my opinion, is abuse. But. Um, you know, and not to get into an argument about it with anybody. I mean, the truth is, is that why, you know, it's illegal. There's a reason there's a age restriction on it. And, uh, but unfortunately, what the, you know, the mindset is the people being irresponsible. I get told all the time, Oh, he was just smoking marijuana. Well, today's marijuana is not the same marijuana as it was when I was smoking it even. And, and, and more and more kids are creating, going, uh, I, I know people that are going psychotic from just from smoking marijuana due to the potency due to the Mm -hmm. chemicals that are in it also the fact that they're putting it in vapes which is also a big problem um so the tobacco companies the people don't realize it but tobacco companies are the ones behind the vapes they're also uh behind the legalization of marijuana because that and they built these so it's all geared around making money and they are targeting youth as they always have so anyway it's all about the money. It's not about, Oh, what's cool for the quid. It's all about who's going to make the most money off of it. So.
0: Right. And they don't care who they hurt or who they kill nope. in the midst nope. of it. So as far as like an adult goes, like, when do they cross the line of being like abusing alcohol? I say somebody drinks a bottle of wine a day. Of course that's a bit excessive, but you know, I know people that have a glass of wine every single day. Um, just at what point does it become abusive? Is it when when you're letting it affect your day-to-day or I guess when health issues arise? Because some people may have a problem, but honestly don't even know that they do or think that they do.
1: Well, if it's starting to uh, affect other areas of your life, I mean, moderation is the key. I mean, in in other words, like if you're having a glass of wine and you you wake up the next morning and you feel refreshed and you're on point and you're going about your day you're getting your daily battle plan done or whatever you want to call it your your things and your own focus to you've got a purpose and you know um then probably not an issue but i i had a friend of mine who was very career oriented military guy that i lived with and i use this as 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 an example um a lot but he asked me one time because he would have barbecues and he would get too drunk i mean past the point of like, you drink way enough a long time ago, but his wife would stay sober. They had a small child. He was like career family. You know, he was very like, you know, he had a plan and you could tell that he had a plan. And, but at the same time, he asked me once, he said, do you think I drink too much? I said, well, if you put everything that matters in one hand, your family, your career, you know, your health and all, and then you pick alcohol over those things, then Yeah, you got a problem the unfortunate part about it is is people it's a gray area and people cross the line a lot sooner than you know they they're they're across the line before they know it and then it's too it's too late so um you know it's one of those things to where you dial it in to where people i mean honestly going out and having a glass of wine is you know or even a cold beer is not i mean i don't advocate for this and, and and maybe i'll have a cold beer every six months or something like that but um you know it's never more than two or three and um you know i'm taking precautions but i i didn't do that for years after i stopped you know i don't get drunk i don't get inebriated i I don't have the intention of doing that i it's not any different to me than drinking a soda pop and i don't even drink those so uh you know it's probably uh you know more it's probably less damaging than a you know than a soda would be but uh, as far as that goes as far as i don't know that's scientifically proven or not that's my own theory just in case i don't i don't drink you know i don't i drink a, a good cold beer i mean non-alcoholic beer or whatever but I, I don't i have my attention on other things i don't i want to wake up early in the morning that type of thing. Again, I'm, I'm giving you long answers to your question, but. <laughs> so.
0: Yes, I appreciate it. They're so helpful because I know so many people have family members that are struggling and um, what's the first step? I guess contacting you would be first if, you know, if someone is listening and they, you know, they think like, hey, maybe this is something my son needs. Um, how do I contact him? He kind of was through that. <laughs>
1: They can reach me at my website. I mean, I'm on Facebook, uh, Newman Interventions, as well as uh, uh, Instagram services, Newman, it's backwards, but anyway, Newman services. But, um, and then also they can reach me at 866-989-4499, or they can go to my website at newmaninterventions.com. Mm-hmm. So I want
0: to go back to something you kind of stated at the beginning um, when someone does sign up for an intervention, you kind of get everyone together and tell them, I guess, some things to say. Um, do you ever have the person that's in question, you know, feel attacked that this whole I, I, I'm, I'm picturing in my mind, like you come, the whole family is sitting around and we call the person in the room like, hey, <laughs> we're here, like we're all gathered here for you
1: yeah well that they do get you know and we try to mitigate that or lessen that as much as we can but it's also pretty you know you see somebody walk in and it's like if it worked any other way statistically like for the like if you could do it a hundred times and there was a way that you could say hey billy i'm going to come over and talk to you about your drug problem right <laughs> uh, and we're going to bring grandma and aunt billy and you know aunt sam uncle sam or whatever <laughs> And you know what's the first response he's gonna say? He's gonna say he gonna be gone. <laughs> he's gonna say nope. Mm-mm. You know, sometimes we only have so we 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 kind of have to like do that and and uh, and you know, we try to again lessen that as much as we can. But um, you know, my response is we used to kind of uh, response with I can't believe you guys would do this to me, right? You know. That's what they would say. And you know what the response to that is, is I can't believe that we're having to, Mm. but we're willing to because we care about you. We love you, you know, Mm -hmm. and then they usually want to play the blame game of, well, you know, you did this and you did that and you said this and you said that about all the things you know what? And I try to get them alone. I say, look, man, I mean, this is obviously a very upsetting time and very, people are frustrated and things have happened and people have said things. But do you know of anybody that ever speaks sanely when they're upset? No, people say and do things that they are they're upset. So they say and do things that are very frustrating. So that's why we're here now trying to make this as, you know, a just so we can solve this problem, we can get on with our lives and we can all, you know, rest easy tonight. You can start feeling better. You know, that's the type of discussions and scenarios that we go over in preparation for this person. Those exact things that you're saying, because they're very common. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always, you know, the truth is, is most people will be very appreciative. They, at, at the end of the day, regardless of it, and honestly, I would rather have somebody yelling at me, then I would be t- trying to tell me everything that I want to hear. They're going to mm-hmm. try to sell me something. You can tell that they're, they're it's all sounding great, but you can also tell, okay, well, we're, you know, we're going to move, you know, you start asking for a commitment out of them and they, they become very evasive. Right. And they're, but th- meanwhile, they're agreeing with everything you're saying. Well, that mm-hmm. person is less likely to actually agree to get help than somebody who's yelling at you going, you know, because uh, you're getting some, you're getting some, what we call, emote, the, the needle is moving when they're, when they're um, yelling and they're reacting. They're, you know, I've even had people go, uh, well, I, I'm not going anywhere. You know, where do you want me to go? And how long do you want me to be gone? And and, the, and that tells me in the back of my mind, they're, they're, this person is about to say yes, even if they're screaming it. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. there. Blah, 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 blah. And the next thing you know, they'll just flip. They'll say, and, and the, you know, we could hopefully say something that in, the, in their mind would make it okay for them to agree. And I, I've had people that literally have had knockdown dragouts for eight hours. You know. <sighs> And I mean, two brothers. You know, it's a, a family up in uh, New Jersey, and they there was two brothers and three sisters. And the guy was, you know, the, the the attic was a was a military guy. He was special forces, and he was trained. You know, he but they would go at it, but he never did anything to try to hurt his brothers. You know, and he could have, but he didn't. But they would they tore the banister off their stair, stairwell. They punched holes in the wall, and it you know, and all kinds of stuff. But after eight hours this guy finally said, okay, I'll go. And not only oh, yeah. that, he, he drove us to the, to the airport. He went, got his car and drove us to the airport, which is like, you know, cause cause we didn't get a, couldn't get a flight out that night. I like to leave immediately, but it went on for so long that, um, we, there was no flights. And so we had to wait till the next day. He showed up the next day and, and you know, and wanted help, but he, we had to be willing to confront that storm to, because deep down the person really wants help, you know, Mm -hmm. so there's, but there's different people, you know, characters of people that, you know, get into this trap and the ones that are, you know, again, they're emotionally invested, you know, when they, when they respond negatively and they try to push back, that's not really them doing it. It's the, you know, it's the addiction and what I call the gorilla on the back, you know, the gorilla on the back that want, is wanting to control everything. And they're trying to push you back. Well, we have to be willing to confront that. So, and know, we can come out on the other side victorious. And I don't know of anybody that's gone through an intervention successfully that accepted help, even though it was noisy and they might have put up a fight. They, 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 In the back of their mind, when they're by themselves and nobody's around, they think about what happened and they appreciate the fact, the people that were willing to step up and help them they're always appreciated they're thankful and they're going you know what I'm so happy that my family did that for me
0: Yes and what are your thoughts on have you ever had to intervene on someone that was abusing medicine that was prescribed to them?
1: Yes I've I've done that with uh, you know a guy who you know several people actually but the one that comes to mind is he was a guy that was a teacher uh and was uh, had been through school but he had five different prescriptions for you know had adderall he had pain relievers had muscle relaxers you know he had all kinds of things and but and he was abusing them and and um his mother finally his his brother had od'd from heroin a few months before and then he was had four years in teaching you know he was doing the student teaching he so he went through college and now he was doing student teaching was about to get a certificate and, you know, we went, we did the intervention and, uh, uh, you know, the mom finally after, you know, it was deadline. We, we basically, we were running out of time. The mom got up and just told him, said, look, if you don't get on that plane with him, you don't have to worry about your job. You don't have to worry about your wife. You don't have to worry about a place to live because number one, I'm going to be down there at the school tomorrow telling them what's going on with you. Oh, and- wow. Two is she's going to divorce you and get a restraining order. She's going to file for a divorce, get a restraining order where you can't come home. We're done. You can either do this and get back on track or we're finished because we're not going to sit back and watch you destroy yourself. And you're because you're destroying everybody else around you. And I just lost a son last November. I'm not losing another one. And he told me we got on the plane. He finally, you know, but th- at the same time, we went on this for like six hours he would stand there with his hand on the door to where he could walk out. He left once and I followed him and went talk to him. And he came back. Right. He wasn't going, he didn't have anywhere to go because he was on foot, but he still, he came back. He stood there with his hand on the door to, to walk out the room for three hours and never stepped through the door. So those are the type of signs that you can see this person is actually putting up a fight, but at the same time, he deep down, he, he really wants something to change.
0: Right, he really wants are,
1: are, it, yeah. yeah, and he did, and he. But he told me, he said, if my mom hadn't have stood up like that and said that, because he knew she would met what she was saying. She was like, mm-hmm. I'm not fooling around here. And he said, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have went. If she hadn't have said that, I wouldn't have went. So, you know, uh-huh. and that particular situation too. And then there's been others where I've actually worked with families that you know we we try to change up the the interaction, like if the if the one member of the fa- family is really hardcore and really abrasive, I try to have them have a softer side. If the person is pretty soft and passive, I want them to be a little bit more firm because then the person themselves, you know, that whole dynamic is used to operating a certain way. So we can kind of throw off and we can kind of, we change it up a little bit to where we can have a different effect and the person can see for themselves, you know, this is, it, it's, things are changing and this is not the same old. Same old so,
0: Yes, I love it. You have been very informative. And I hope if anyone is listening and you're dealing with a family member or a loved one that is struggling with drug abuse, please contact Bobby, contact him so he can get you guys the help that you need. As you can see, he knows what he's talking about. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with today?
1: You know, yes, I do. And there's it's never too soon to do an intervention. Even if it's not a full-fledged intervention with a professional, there's our steps that you can take to stop the destructive behavior. Why wait until something bad happens before you decide to do something? Mm-hmm. You know, it's never too soon, it's always too late to do an intervention.
0: That's good. So one more time, just let them know how they can get in contact with you.
1: They can reach me at 866-989-4499, or, and one of my staff will answer the phone, or you can go to newmaninterventions.com, which is N-E-W-M-A-N, interventions with an S, dot com, and fill out a form, or there's a number there. You can call us there, too, as well.
0: And you work all over the U.S., correct? Or are you just restricted to
1: a certain area? No, I go all over the country.
0: Okay, nice. So no matter where you are, we will travel to you and get you and your family the help that you guys need. I appreciate you so much, Bobby. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah.